Hi, everybody, and welcome to the JDO Show. My name is J. David Osborne, and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about a series of blog posts that I wrote about beginner's mind and writing. So if you haven't been to brokenriverbooks.com recently, I have been using that space as a spot for me to blog, and I've been doing a lot of writing about pretty much whatever comes to mind, but very specifically, I've been talking about some writing tips that have occurred to me over the years as I've been writing, and specifically while I've been editing. So some of you might know this, but I edit books. That's my job, essentially. I started doing it about seven or eight years ago, started off doing that for, for friends to build up my CV. And then over time, uh, some of those books got published, some of those books got awards. Um, then I started Broken River, and those books uh, largely did very well. A lot of them took off. So I had this really nice CV going, and then I signed up for a website that kind of required you to have a background in editing. And since then, I've been working on between four and six books a month. Um, so I see a lot of books that are in various states of, I guess you could say, disrepair. But in doing that, I've learned a lot of common mistakes. I've seen this over and over again, and I thought that maybe I would start putting these small, short, informative podcasts out to help you if you are in the process of writing a book and maybe want to avoid some of these pitfalls. So I figured that we would start with a concept called beginner's mind, which seems appropriate considering this is the beginning of this series that I'm doing. A friend of mine named Jordan Harper hipped me to this concept of beginner's mind. And the long story short is that you learn a bunch of stuff, you become an expert in something, and you begin to focus too much on the technicalities and the rules of what you're supposed to be doing with your art rather than approaching it like a beginner would, almost like a child. So I want to start off here with a quote from Pablo Picasso, who said, it took me four years to paint like Raphael and an entire lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. So we can quibble with this a little bit. I'm not sure if he ever really knew how to paint like Raphael, but the point, the spirit of what he's getting at there is that you can go to school and you can learn the rules to produce um, art that is judged to be good by the connoisseurs of that art. So think of this as the kind of small um, fanatics of any particular genre. Now, this exists everywhere. So there's a general audience for everything, and then there's a very specific audience for things. And the specific audience are always a bit more picky than the general audience. Think of the way that Pitchfork used to be. Pitchfork gained a reputation for being very uh, elitist and hipster and whatever other derogatory word you want to use for them. But the whole idea was that music was these people's entire lives, these reviewers' entire lives, these critics, right? And so what they would do when they were going to a record is they would be hearing things and looking for things that the average person just isn't looking for. So knowing all that, being a connoisseur of the particular art form that you're producing in the first place, you can have all of these things in your head and you can craft something that is very technically proficient and would probably score pretty well on one of these critics' metrics, whatever metric it is that they're using. But the issue is that you have completely lost a beginner's mind. You're writing specifically 
for this group of people who have rules in place that might in fact be stopping you from reaching a wider audience. So I'm speaking from my experience. I've always been a book nerd. I've been you know, reading since I was a little kid. I'm sure most of you who are listening to this at this point all have a story about you know, writing a book on some computer paper or on some lined paper and stapling it together and having a book. That's always been something that I've done is, is create books. And I remember when I first started doing that, all of my books were knockoffs of Steven Seagal movies or Jurassic Park. I did one where it was like Jurassic Park, but it was kids at a zoo and the animals got out. Um, and it was wildly gory. I always thought that Jurassic Park was missing more gore. I liked all the blood and stuff. So you all probably have stories like that, but think about how you were then. You were essentially taking things that you thought were cool and you were trying to do something similar. You were trying to do something awesome. Now that begins to change at a certain point once you get deeper and deeper into lit, right? So once you start figuring out how sentences work and how beautiful poetic language can make a book come alive, you start trying to emulate that. And the issue becomes, number one, it can become too much of a good thing. But number two, I think that there is a real aesthetic beauty and quality to something that is lightly amateurish. Now, creating a work of fiction in which every single page is just line after line of straight, killer, poetic prose is indeed an accomplishment. And I used to have that goal in mind when I would write. My first novel, By the Time We Leave Here We'll Be Friends, is an example of that, where I was trying to get it as lean as possible, and I was trying to make sure that every single word sung in this very poetic way. Now, I like that book. Um, I think that it's always a little dangerous for an author to go back and sort of judge his previous works because that can lead you to um, maybe get stuck in the past a little bit. But, you know, when I look at that now, I would have liked to have loosened up a little bit more. I would have liked to have had a few scenes in there that were more fun, that were able to create more dynamics within the text, because what ended up happening is that the whole thing is very cold, it's very dark, and it's very serious, besides some moments of brevity. And I would have liked to have been able to break that up and add a little bit more personality, a little bit more flavor to it. So when you think about people who are very technically proficient in other art forms, something that might come to mind are the painters, uh, or rather the pencil uh, drawers, who are able to create these lifelike portraits. I'm sure you've all seen them. It's, you know, it's some kind of uh, model and it looks like a black and white photograph, but it's actually pencil. So that is an amazing feat of artistry. That's, that's pretty incredible. And people do pay for that kind of stuff. People like to, to hang cool displays of technical proficiency in their homes. Some people do. However, if you think about artists like Basquiat, right, who was a graffiti artist in Brooklyn in the late 1980s, unfortunately he died very young, he was in the part of the 27 Club, um, Basquiat was able to put these art pieces together that at first glance seem to be a bit amateurish, but are in fact very technically proficient. So this man honed his skills on the street. He was able to put his tags up really fast. He was able to learn how to 
use technical proficiency in the, in the service of making something quick, seemingly messy, but aesthetically dynamic and interesting. So that's two different types of approaches to art that I think are both valid, but for this particular talk about you know beginner's mind, we're going to be looking towards the latter. We're going to be focusing more on the Basquiat side of things rather than on, you know, making photorealistic replicas of things with pencil. So when I was first hip to this idea, again, shout out to Jordan, he was talking about it in terms of a band called Sun. If you haven't listened to Sun, they're great. This sort of heavy doom drone band, their songs last, you know, 12, 15 minutes. And there are these super long, heavy chords. And they've often said, you know, that their goal when they play a live show is to have a real kind of sonic experience. They're not playing solos. They're not being particularly, um, I suppose technically proficient is the wrong word for it because they're very technically proficient in the quality and, and um, texture of the sounds, right? But they're, you know, they're not Steve Vai. They're not up there wailing. And so they released... Um, a PR statement for one of their uh, concert series. And in that, they talk about this beginner's mind concept. So this is from this press release. Um, Sun will be playing material from Grim Robe exclusively. It will be a return to their primal origins and approach respecting a concept of Shoshin, the beginner's mind, the yet undyed pure wool, the clarity in initiation upon the untraveled. The attitude of embodying the basics precisely, point by point, line by line, with an immovable faith in the teaching, experience, and of beyond the possibility. So this is probably translated from something. So apologies for the, for the bit of broken English there. Of openness, eagerness, and lack of preconceptions when approaching, even with much experience, just as a beginner would upon the initial impetus and thirst to seek the path. And so, with this mindset, they will be approaching these live concerts. Okay, so they have one goal. They want to make loud, droning guitar tunes. These things that stretch on for a very, very long time. And, you know, as a side note, it's actually great music for creating or for zoning out, whatever you choose to do. So for a second, though, let's look at this Shoshin concept. So Shunryo Suzuki, the most famous purveyor of Shoshin, said, If your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. Okay, so when we apply this to writing, what you want to have as a writer is, so, is to be somebody who approaches a page with endless possibilities. So every scene is an opportunity for you to explore, to see where that mood takes you. You forget everything you know about style and craft, and you focus on telling a story relating I guess a specific mood or feeling to the reader as it comes to you. So the thing is those craft lessons that you learned, whether you got an MFA, whether you've just been an avid reader and have internalized these techniques, you're not specifically thinking of them when you're using uh, uh, them in order to make your book better, right? So think about a basketball player who is a professional, right? And they're walking along a basketball court with their friend and they're having a conversation and a ball rolls at their feet and without breaking stride, without breaking the conversation, that athlete picks up the ball and puts it in the hoop in one kind of fluid motion and then just continues walking and talking with their friend. 
that is the kind of utilization of technique and knowledge that I think can create great art. When it's not about the technique, when it's not about putting on this amazing technical display, but rather utilizing the things that you've learned as a part of a toolkit that you can then use to create something that's dynamic and interesting and maybe even a little sloppy. So another example. So George Simenone was one of France's most prolific writers. Um, I personally have not finished any of his books. So take this example as uh, with a grain of salt, I suppose. Um, but it wasn't for the fact that they were, you know, so ugly or so simple um, that I just simply couldn't finish them. I honestly, I have a real problem uh, being able to finish books in general. It's probably a result of my ADD and the internet and a lot of different things, but I don't really finish as many books as I start, not by a long shot. Anyhow, with that disclaimer in the way, so he made uh, the the, the Magret uh, series. It's detective novels, basically. And he had this super intense routine where he would um, lock himself in a room for six to eight days, smoke a bunch of cigarettes, and at the end of it, he would have these, uh, you know, the drafts of his novels, and then I think he'd go over them one time, and then he was done. So he ended up writing almost 500 novels that way. Extremely prolific guy. And there's this story, I can't remember where I read it, it might be apocryphal, but when he sent his first manuscript to the woman who would become his agent for his entire career, she sent it back to him and told him to take out all the instances of flowery um, prose. Just strip it down to as simple as he could get it, and then he'd be good to go. And he did that, and he followed her advice for his entire career, and kind of look what happened to him. So basically, like, a beginner just writes a book, and then they're done. Remember, go back to that example of making those little books. When you would make those little books as a kid, and then you were done, what would you do? You'd just pretty much move on to the next thing. I'm not really sure if I ever really edited when I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe your personality is a little bit different than mine, but I don't... I don't think that I really did. So there's this idea of first idea, best idea, okay? And I think that it kind of, I know when you're listening to this, it's it's going against a lot of in deeply ingrained advice that you have about editing, about taking your time, this whole idea that writers should put out about a book every two to five years and that it should be slaved over. But I think that that gives it an overpolished feeling. It gives it too much of a feeling of something that has been made to be good. Here's a kind of weird thought that really just came to me. You know, the the difference between something that has clearly been made to be impressive and something that is a bit more casual and is impressive by the by. It happens to be it happens to be impressive because you connected with it. I'm, I'm not really sure, so this is just completely off the top of my head, so I don't have a great example of this, but I'm trying to get at this at this feeling that I have when I read through um, certain books that I've edited that I think are really technically proficient, and the person clearly knows what they're doing, but they're kind of missing that um, that energy, right? That punk rock, black and white, Xeroxed copy, DIY feel that, that I think people are actually kind of looking for, right? I think that there's a direct connection to 
um, simplicity and putting your humanity on the page and people actually responding to the book. There's something cold and distant about an incredibly technically proficient book. So I would like to close out this thought about Shoshin or beginner's mind with a direct example of what I think beginner's mind is not. And I had to go back and forth about this because obviously I don't want to use a passage from, you know, somebody's book in a negative way. That feels ugly to me. Um, So what I figured, my compromise for that whole thing was to actually pick a writer who's one of my favorites. So William Gay, who wrote Twilight and uh, Hate to See That Evening Sun Go Down, uh, many different great books. Um, Kind of a McCarthy-esque writer. I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that William Gay is a brilliant writer, but I wanted to find an example of this sort of complete opposite of beginner's mind. So here's a passage from The Long Home. In the molten fire where he lay, he could watch the slow machinations of eternity, the cosmic miracle of each second being born, egg-shaped, silver-plated, phallic, time thrusting itself gleaming through the worn and worthless husk of the microsecond previous, halting, beginning to show the slow and infinitesimal accretions of decay in the clocking away of life in a mechanism encoded at the moment of conception, withering, shunted aside by time's next orgasmic thrust, and all to the beating of some galactic heart, to voices, a madman's mutterings from a snare in the web of the world. Okay, that's pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. That's that's a really great passage. But do you see how exhausting that could get over the course of an entire book? And I'm not going to lie. There have been some instances with William Gay's book where I was like, man, can you relax for a second? Can you just tell me a story for a second without having to tell me, like, get that weird, dreamy, uh, sort of foggy feeling that you get when you when you read that kind of stuff? Now, there are people who like maximalism. There are people who like crack cocaine. There are people who would love to read 400 pages of that. God bless you. But you're in a minority, okay? You're, you're a small portion of the reading public who would actually, you know, want to read something like that. And I'm not saying that, you know, making something that is for everybody should be everybody's goal, even. But what I'm arguing for is the actual aesthetic quality of sloppiness, essentially. So this is an idea that we're going to have to think with, and I'm going to have to to put more effort into getting across, because what it sounds like I'm saying, and actually kind of what I, what I am saying, is that you shouldn't try so hard to make every single line excellent. And that just does not track with a lot of people. What do you mean I shouldn't try to make every line excellent? I paid all this money for this MFA. Or, conversely, I want to prove to everybody that I'm the baddest motherfucker out there and that I, I'm, I'm a great writer. Well, the trick to this whole thing is that by trying to be as, as good as you possibly can to kind of show off, right, you might actually be sacrificing the actual real good book that you need to write. Something to think about. Until next time, bye.